Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer. The information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Jersey Justice. We are all back after the 4th of July holiday. That is why Jerry's looking really tan today. Mark, I don't know what happened where Mark was. We'll have to talk about that. Before we even begin this episode, I'd like to actually start off and say, how was everyone's holiday weekend? Classic 4th of July weekend. A couple hot dogs, a couple hamburgers. Still got all 10 fingers. Uh, saw some fireworks, but it was great. And I did go to the beach, believe it or not. I guess I look a little pasty, but I was at the beach at least a couple of days in pool time. Well, nice. So you guys are bringing back to originally how you guys met. So people go back and listen to episode one of our show. We tell the story of how you guys actually met and how you got hired at the firm. And it all goes back to the story of a beach and a lost wallet and a bar. So if you didn't watch that episode, go rewind all the way to episode one, subscribe to all the episodes. And also, before I forget, I do want to mention that we are now taking questions for the podcast. So if you guys want to submit your questions, you can check out in the show notes. The email address for that is questions at jerseyjusticepodcast.com. So if you have a question that you'd like us to answer on the show, you can submit your questions there and you might actually hear it answered on the show. But before we dive into that, Jerry, how was your 4th of July weekend and did you do anything exciting? It wasn't too bad. Kind of, well, to be honest, I spent the last couple of days writing a brief. Yeah, like the weather was real nice yesterday, but I spent a lot of time writing a brief on a case. But other okay. than that, it was good. But I don't mind because I find it hard to not do much for long for after a day or two of just not doing much. I, get, I can get a little buggy. So I go back and start working again. So I don't know. That's Same. lawyer life for you guys. Lawyer life. We're taking behind the scenes. What really happens? You know, this is what, what they do. We Mark, you're going to say something? I was going to say it's a blessing and a curse, but it's the same thing. A couple days and I start getting antsy. <laughs> it's it's rare over a stretch of time like that. Same thing. I won't just stop in the office, make sure stuff's good, go through mail. Just something to feel productive for, you know, that long period of time. I guess I'm the same way. I was like, I don't know what to do with myself with all these days where there's like, <laughs> so I'm like, glad to be here today. All right. Today, you guys, you're going to dive in. We have a really special episode for you guys. We're going to be talking about litigation medical exams, and we're going to be discussing a recent New Jersey Supreme Court opinion on medical exams. So I think you're going to find this really fascinating because it's not a topic that too many other legal podcasts are talking about, and we're going to bring it to you firsthand. So I'm going to start this conversation off because, you know, for our audience, so maybe, you know, Jerry or Mark, whoever wants to share some information, if you can explain what some of the terms are that we're going to be, you know, calling out such as DME, TPO, and a couple of other terms that we're going to be using like IMEs. Who want, I'm going to pass it to Jerry because I know he's not ready. So I'm going to pass it to him purposely. So, all right. Yeah. So there was a recent Supreme Court opinion. The Supreme Court in New Jersey is the highest court. 
And so all the other courts and cases have to follow what they say on an area that they write about. And in June, actually on June 15th, which happens to be my birthday, they came out with a really awesome opinion that levels the playing field in these cases. So basically what happens in a personal injury case, at some point, the defendant is probably going to send the, the plaintiff, the injured person to a defense medical exam. And basically, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but basically they're going to be sent to a doctor that's paid for by the insurance company. They're picked and paid for by the defense and they get to do a physical exam of the person and they review all their medical records and everything. And then they inevitably frequently come up with a report that downplays the injuries. You know, if there are real injuries, they'll often say it's from before the, the crash. If there's like a broken bone that had surgery with pins and screws, they'll often say that it was an excellent result. We've actually had cases where these doctors testified in one particular case I remember is a person had a really bad broken leg and you could see on the x-ray film like that it healed like this, like one part of the bone was overlapping the other. And the defense doctor said, you know, that was perfect anatomical alignment. So basically in these cases, at some point they're going to be sent to, the, to this doctor and it's not for treatment. It's for purposes of then that doctor will testify in court and try to convince the jury that your injuries aren't severe, that they're not permanent, that they're not from the crash. And often they will suggest that the plaintiff is a liar, a cheat and a fraud. They'll never come out and say those words, but they'll say it in fancy terminology like the objective evidence doesn't match the subjective complaints, which means the MRI or the x-ray doesn't support what he's telling you, which means he's a liar. He or she's a liar, a cheat, and they're a cheat if they're trying to get something that they don't deserve and they're, and they're a fraud. So, so what our office would off, a lot of times do is they would go to these exams and then what, what we would find in these exams, because we've been doing this a long time, is often the doctors will downplay what happens at the exam or outright misrepresent what happens at the exam. So for example, it's, if it's a shoulder injury, they'll, they'll do a test and yes, they were able to lift their arm to the ceiling with no pain. Or if there's a neck injury, they'll do like a neck exam and they'll say they perform perfectly on the neck exam with no complaints. I remember one trial I did, I did recently. I'm just, I, I have in front of me the closing the closing slides from that trial. So anyway, in one particular in one particular trial, the defense expert testified that the neck exam was normal, and then for the low back exam, he testified in front of the jury that the that the plaintiff refused to do the low back exam. But what we did is we had a nurse attend the exam, and the nurse recorded the exam, and. The nurse then wrote a report which showed that the neck exam was not normal, that during it, that the client, when she was tilting her head doing it, that she had pain and that she had limitations with that. But the defense doctor testified that it was full range of motion with no pain. And then what happens was we had, we had a transcript made of the recording. And these are my notes from trial with the highlights and the red and everything, which is different things I wanted to focus on at trial. And the transcript from that showed that it wasn't true because it, it indicated that. And like as to the low back, 
the doctor testified she refused to do the exam. But then when we, we had the transcript from the exam and we had the nurse, what actually happened, the question was, all right, why don't you stand up for a sec? Just face me here. This is the doctor talking. So I want you to try to touch your toes. If you can, it's okay. Just do what you can do. And then the, our, our client says, that's about it. And the doctor's like, great, come up, come on up now. Now I want you to go to the side, to the other side. Okay. And then the, our client says, I'm losing my balance. And then the doctor says, yep, you can sit. Is that better? And our client, her name, and then our client says, says, yeah, that's better. So basically what happened was the client lost her balance because of the situation and wasn't able to do the low back exam. And the doctor testified she refused to do it. So that's like another example. So basically the thing is we would, we would send nurses to, to these exams to review them, to observe them. And then depending on what the doctor testifies to a trial, we then put the nurse on right after the doctor, preferably, who then will talk about what they saw happen and then we'll record it. Okay. So the, so the insurance companies and the defense was resisting sending, allowing us to have nurses at the exams because basically what happens is you have a highly trained doctor in a room alone with, with a plaintiff who's looking for a recovery. And the defense says that this doctor's independent and it's always the farthest thing from independent, but they call them independent anyway. So it becomes a, he said, she said, which is totally unfair. And so we would, we would send the nurses, we would record the exams and they're resisting that. So there was a, there was an opinion from a lower court in New Jersey, which says that if the plaintiff wants to bring a nurse to the exam that they have to prove like a good reason for it and file like a motion and do a bunch of work and kind of climb like a hill and jump through a bunch of hoops to, to allow that to happen. So the Supreme Court reviewed that case and basically said that defense medical exams, they're not independent, they're defense medical exams because you know it's by the insurance company, it's by the defense. It's for purposes of testifying in the litigation. It's not independent. And to level the playing field, the plaintiff should be allowed to bring a third-party observer, non-obtrusive observer, to observe the exam and record what happened and record it. It should be permitted as a default rule. And then they, they flipped it and said, if the defense doesn't want that, then the defense has to file a motion and prove you know, a good reason why they shouldn't be able to do that. And what happened was when I heard about this issue, I wrote an article on this issue that was published in the New Jersey Law Journal. It's also on our website. It's called, There is No Such Thing as an IME in New Jersey Injury Litigation. And IME is what the defense would call these things, IME standing for Independent Medical Examination, which is the funniest thing because people have been calling these these defense medical exams, independent medical exams for years. And, you know, in recent time, the plaintiff's lawyers, you know, talking about why, why are these called IMEs? They're not IMEs. They're the farthest thing from independent. You know, we, we've shown in cases that some of these doctors make millions of dollars a year testifying almost exclusively for the defense. So I got wind of this case. I heard about you know, this issue and that it was, it was going around. And then when the lower court opinion came down, I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a mistake for the, for the court to say that 
the burden should be on the plaintiff to prove good reason why they should be allowed to get a nurse at the exam. I mean, I was thinking to myself, like, it's such an important thing. I mean, there's millions of dollars at stake. It's, 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 it's a super, super important event in an injury case when you have the plaintiff examined by a doctor. So I'm like, why wouldn't this be recorded? You know, when we have depositions in cases, it's recorded. Police today have to wear body cams. Everywhere you go, there's surveillance videos. But somehow these defense doctors hired by these insurance companies making gazillions of dollars doing these exams and testifying for the defense get to get to do it in the secret, you know, so it's just their word against that. It didn't make sense. And it especially didn't make sense because we've had so many situations where the doctor misreports what happens at the exam. There's also there's like a big company. There's some big companies out there that do this. And some lawyers actually believe because what happens is these doctors do like they might do like maybe 10 or 20 of these defense exams on the given day. And they don't remember the plaintiff. Like, they don't know who they are. So when they see them in court, again, they, they don't remember them from the exam. I think they dictate a report and then they send it off to the company that then prepares the report and all that and sends it out. And some lawyers believe that the company changes what's in the report. And it appears they're working off templates because they often say the same things. So, so there's that whole thing. So we thought it was unfair to not allow a nurse or, or a third party in there to record it. Supreme Court takes the case, though. And before the Supreme Court took the case, I, I decided the case, I wrote an article that was published in the New Jersey Law Journal. And I talked about this. I said, like, I've been doing this for 22 years. And I said, in my whole time doing this, I've never seen an independent medical exam. And I explained kind of the reality of the medical exams. And the other thing, too, is the lower court said that these exams aren't necessarily adversarial. And I also took issue with that. I said, no, they're inherently adversarial for all the reasons we kind of talked about. And then I talked about like the prior case law on the issue and talked about these things. And then the Supreme Court came down. And now this was published in the New Jersey Law Journal, the article that I wrote. And one would expect that, you know, lawyers read that, certainly judges and Supreme Court justices would read that. And, you know, they never they didn't cite my article or anything. I don't know if it was talked about or if it was in cited by any of the briefs that they reviewed, but their opinion closely matches what what I put in the article in particular. I said the mistake in the lower court was putting the burden on the plaintiff, and that's that's what they focused on, and that's the only thing they changed from the lower court opinion was putting the burden on the plaintiff to, to jump through hoops to get a nurse there, and you know they talked about the reality of these situations. So that's that's really good news. It's good news for people. You know, it's just it's just common sense fairness. So yeah, that, that that was a that was that's what it's about. Sorry for the super yeah, long yeah. wizard answer. No, it, it's okay. And, and I mean, for our audience too, can you explain to them why the insurance companies did not want this recorded? Because you know that, and Mark knows that, and I know that. But for you know the general audience who doesn't know what really you know happens in law, well, winning trials is really hard. Okay, like the insurance companies have so many resources, the corporations that we go against, they're so well funded. 
they often get the best, the best among the best lawyers out there. They can pay for the best experts. So these trials are like really hard and you lose them. Like you'll go in and you know the person's injured and these doctors will get up there and say the most ridiculous things such as that's perfect anatomical alignment and the jury believes them. They often will believe them because you have like a highly trained medical doctor and a downtrodden, injured, usually middle class or lower middle class person often. And they're like, who are you going to believe? And they often just believe the doctors. And then a lot of people go into trials or jurors go in because of stuff they've seen on TV, whatever. And they just right away, they think, oh, a plaintiff, they must be faking it, you know? And these doctors play right into that. And a lot of times these juries buy it hook, line and sinker because because and I've said this before, like we don't in our office, like if the plaintiff's not hurt or they're not legitimate, we're not taking the case. We we reject so many cases every year. We only take a small percentage of the cases that come to us because even the good cases are hard. We only take the good cases. We only take cases where people are like legitimately injured. And frankly, I see a lot of that out there because I also arbitrate where I'm an arbitrator. So I'll kind of give my arbitrator opinion on cases. And most of these cases, these people are legit hurt. And most of the plaintiffs that go to these defense medical exams are legit hurt. So if the facts are against you, you know, like you don't want it recorded. The least, the, the, so that's a long winded way of answering your question. The truth hurts. They don't want it recorded. They want the doctor to be freely able to say that they refuse to do the low back exam when the reality is they couldn't do it because they lost their balance and, and were in pain. They want the doctors to freely be able to say that the neck exam was completely normal without it being recorded, that actually they couldn't do the exam all the way and were in clear pain. That's why they don't want to record it. I mean, it's just, it's just common sense. Like, you know, that and, and that's why the opinion from the Supreme Court is so great, because it's common sense. I talked about in the article that was published before uh, on this issue before the opinion. I mean, police officers have to wear body cams, surveillance videos everywhere. Everything in court is on the record. But somehow these doctors from the insurance company are going to like be, be an exception. A lot of ways you can think about it. And you can analogize this at trial is that like the doctor. Dr. Jones or whoever is on their own private island and meaning like all the medical records in the case and all the treating doctors say the plaintiff's legitimately hurt and it's from the crash and this is what the person's going to need. And then all the people in the case, all the doctors, medical providers, the doctor is the only one that says they're not hurt or it's a minor injury or it predates. So the doctor's like on his, you know, his or her own private island. And the island's being funded by the insurance company by all the money they make doing these exams. And the doctor doesn't want to get kicked off the island, you know? So that's why they keep saying what, what they say. So hopefully that answers your question as to why, why and this is all my opinion, you know, take, take, it, take it for a grain of salt, but I, I've seen it and, and that's what I believe. So Dimple, you had asked Jerry a question earlier about, you know, why did, why did the defense not want these things recorded, these medical examinations recorded. The word that kind of came to mind for me is, is it exposes like what really happens there. Um, be, because you get like, there's uh, Jerry referenced a book or did a reading from a book. There's a lot of good books about 
kind of trying cases and, you know, just what goes into practicing law. And one of the ones that, that I've read, I think Jerry's read it too. It talks about like these defense doctors, they present well, you know, they're persuasive. They look great when they go into court and the juries like them. Otherwise the defendants wouldn't pay them so much money to keep testifying in these cases. So, so these doctors that a lot of times the jurors don't know what they're really about. All they see is this suit that comes into a courtroom and is persuasive and puts on this good presentation. But what, the recording does or what having a third party observer at a defense medical exam does is it exposes what really happens there, which and Jerry and I both have countless stories of I had a client that had a low back injury and they asked her to touch her toes. There's a standard kind of, you know, battery of tests that they do. They're like, all right, touch your toes. And she couldn't do it. So the doctor physically pushed her down. So that she got further down and then recorded, oh, you know, full range of motion, able to touch toes. Obviously, that caused her pain. We had a nurse there. Nurse takes a note. Doctor pushed her down. She cried out in pain. Doctor records in his, you know, exam narrative, you know, full range of motion, whatever percent. And without a third party observer there, all we have is the doctor's report that says, you know, full range of motion, you know, fine, no complaints of pain. And the case we're talking about, this DeFiore decision that came down from the Supreme Court, it's it's really strong. And it talks a lot about types of things that Jerry wrote about in his article that we've experienced in practice. And I don't know if it makes sense to you, but I could, I could read us like a short section from it just because the Supreme court said, it. I mean, we're sitting here talking about it at the Supreme court, the highest court in New Jersey said it. Um, and, and they say a DME reflects a profound power imbalance between the plaintiff and a medical professional with long experience in the examination of patients and participation in court proceedings. It talks about how a DME can involve a plaintiff being physically touched without their consent or asked extraordinarily personal questions about their mental health without their consent. A DME is unique in our adversarial system. It is the only instance in which a defense expert may conduct discovery on a plaintiff without plaintiff's counsel present, which is true. So ever casting this in a light of like independent medical examination, it's just such it's such BS. It's not. And that has kind of gotten smoked out. And now the highest court in our state has said, you know what? <laughs> it is BS in much more artful legalese terminology. But it's great that that's now the state of the law. So when it comes to defense medical examinations, right, the Supreme Court decision, what is the impact that it's it's going to have or has had on, on the procedures going forward? It's been our practice for a long time where when we get a notice that our client's going to get sent to one of these defense medical examinations. We send out a letter. We say, hey, these are the terms for the medical examination to go forward. We're going to be sending a third-party observer. She'll sit there quietly and either take notes or make an audio-visual recording. So, so that's been our practice for a long time. The appellate division came out with a decision that said if the plaintiff wants to send a third-party observer or make a recording of one of these examinations, then it's their burden to show, you know, special reason why or what the circumstances are where that should happen. Something somewhat along those lines. And for a short window of time, then we would, we'd get into these issues where we'd either have to file a motion or someone would file a motion for us not to have a nurse there. But what the Supreme Court decision says is that now if the defense wants to stop us from sending a third party or having, you know, the examination recorded, then they have to apply to the court. Essentially, it lays out the steps. Essentially, number one, defense should say that they have an issue with a recording being made. They should talk with plaintiff's counsel, see if they can resolve it. And then if they can't, 
they should file a motion. They should make an application to the court for a protective order saying that there shouldn't be, you know, a recording made or third party observer. But the the Supreme Court's pretty, I guess, broad with it, where they say that in most cases, it looks like it would be permissible to have a third party observer. They talk about things like psychological issues, language barriers, but then they, they throw in what I kind of see as more of a catch all or also, you know, a litigant's inexperience with with litigation, like a plaintiff's inexperience with litigation. So for the most part, I guess, unless you're a serial litigant, you're going to have this power imbalance where when you go to a DME, you're not going to be as sophisticated as the the defense doctor. And that doesn't mean like if you're an engineer who gets hurt that, you know, you don't get a third party observer. But I just think they make it really, really kind of broad where it seems that more often than not, plaintiffs should be allowed to have a third party there. And it's going to be the defense's burden to show that they shouldn't. Yeah, Dimple, the, the practical effect is basically you get to have your third party observer at the thing. It's just like, hey, what's the practical effect that body cams have been ordered? Well, the practical effect now is every time you come encounter with law enforcement in the state of New Jersey, they're turning on their body cam and recording the encounter, which is, I think, a good thing. But so I'll do I'll, I'll just give it I'll give a quick I'll do a quick little I'll give a, a, a quick little reading here. So this is from the article I wrote, which is on our website. But this is an example of a trial I had done recently at the time I wrote this. So this is the question and answer that I asked the nurse. So the defense doctor had just testified. And then and then he, he said a bunch of stuff about what happened at the exam. And then right after he got off the stand, we had our nurse who was there testify. And the question for the nurses, the defense doctor testified that when he touched the shoulder, he complained of pain all over the shoulder. Did that actually happen at the exam? No, it did not. So basically that point there is like, oh, my whole shoulder hurts. Oh, don't touch me there. Everything hurts. Like that's, that's what the doctor's trying to get across to the jury. Like that this person's like, oh, that hurts. And this hurts too. I, I hurt everywhere. So that's what that's about. And then we said, question, describe what happened at the exam. Where did he touch the shoulder and what actually happened on that? Answer, the nurse says, he touched it right in his deltoid area, and that's where it hurt. It wasn't all over. He specifically said the proximal area. And then question, and the defense doctor also testified, whenever you touched him on the body, he said, ooh, that hurts, pain here, pain there. Did that ever happen at the exam? Answer, no, it did not. Okay, and did the plaintiff ever complain of pain all over his body, diffuse pain? So the doctor got up in front of the jury before this and said, and yes, Mr. Munoz, that was his name in this case, testified that he was he had pain all over his body trying to put him out. And this justice, like this stuff just kind of like infuriates me because, you know, and this doctor is like highly trained. And this doctor made like $23 million selling an exam company and makes like, I think it was like $1.2 million a year during, during a certain time period. So they say that. And then, so what the insurance company is trying to do is make it so that the nurse can't go there so that the doctor can get up in front of the jury and say they were complained of pain all over their body with no one to refute it. So if the plaintiff refutes it, like, what good is that? The plaintiff's the one who's trying, who's injured and trying to get money. So who's going to believe that person? Okay. So, and did he ever complain of pain all over his body? And, and the answer was no. So that's, that's another kind of example of, 
this this kind of thing that they're trying to prevent and why it's a great Supreme Court opinion. You know, the opinion's not groundbreaking because a lot of states allow the nurse, it's in their court rules, allow the third party observer. It's a great opinion, but it's not surprising opinion. It's just common sense that that you would have such a consequential litigation event recorded. Yeah, especially in this day and age in 2023. Like everybody's got a smartphone just to put, and that's part of the decision too. We talk about sending a third party observer, you know, you just throw down a phone, record it, audio, visual. I mean, what better evidence of what really happened? For me too, I said expose, it puts it into context too. Like what really happens at these things? Because we're talking about DMEs, like they're, you know, these really significant events and they are, but they take oftentimes five minutes or less sometimes two minutes for the doctor to take a history, run through the medical records, perform a physical examination, and then send the plaintiff on their way. It's, and it's, you think about the guy gets up there and he talks for 45 minutes about his exam, examination, showed this, that, reviewed these records, that records. And it's like, and I've had, we've had cases where it's like a minute and a half that they spend doing these things. And you just wouldn't know that if you didn't have a recording or didn't have a third party there. So it's a great decision. So Dimple, I got to do one more reading for you from this article. So I did, when I wrote this article, I cited Dorothy Clay Sims. Dorothy Clay Sims is an attorney in Florida and she's written an awesome like series of books and it's called Exposing Deceptive Defense Doctors. And I quoted her in, the, in this article and she says, why do many DMEs behave in such a disturbed manner? <laughs> why do they lie so often and so easily? And she writes, a friend attended a DME conference where the audience was asked, how many times do you think you can reach a conclusion contrary to the interest of the insurance industry and still be used as an expert for their carriers, meaning their insurance carriers? And the audience was an unanimous twice, they replied. Two times a defense medical expert can be honest. And after that, he, for he can forget those tasty referrals resulting in big fees Referrals that don't involve haggling with insurance companies or Medicare fighting over downcoding of bills or treatment of unhappy patients. Referrals that have no potential for malpractice suits because the doctor is not a treating doctor. It's just too tempting, perhaps, even for someone who genuinely wants or even needs to be honest. And that comes from Sims Exposing Deceptive Defense Doctors, a 2011 publication. So I think the more people that send, because not all lawyers do it. Not all lawyers have the exams recorded or send third-party observers. We've been doing it for a while in most of our cases, but I think it's going to change things because in the, probably the past 15, 20 years, juries have gotten very stingy and very skeptical of plaintiffs. And you hear so many deserving plaintiffs just frankly get, get screwed out of a recovery for things like this. So I think it's going to change a lot. Gary, do you think this is going to really change the way that you know lawyers are going to be approaching DMEs for their clients? Yeah, I think so. I think I think more more lawyers are going to are going to send third party observers like our office has been doing for a long time, you know, and it's not a bad thing to ask if you have to go to a defense medical exam, ask your lawyer, hey, can someone come with me? Can I record this? It's an important thing. Yeah, I think we're taking for granted that, that all the plaintiff attorneys out there have read this decision you know, internalized it and implemented it as part of their policy. Like we've been sending nurses as long as I've been here, Jerry, I'm sure, you know, as long as you've been practicing, you've been sending nurses. And that's not, I don't know that that's the norm necessarily. And for us, this is a big decision because it just reaffirms what we've been doing. 
but for other firms out there that may not be doing that, may not want to spend the time, the money to do that, it might not change anything. So again, your attorney matters and you're right. If you're listening to this and you know, you're with another law firm, you're going to one of these defense medical exams. It's really, really helpful for your case to have a third party there or to make a recording. That's great. Thanks for sharing that with our audience, Mark. So, you know, Jerry, like, let's talk about how this decision is going to impact plaintiffs who allege cognitive limitations, psychological impairments, or language barriers. Well, there's a lot of these doctors, they don't want to be recorded. They want to have full control of the situation. They don't want anyone looking over their shoulder. So they'll come up with, they'll come up with any arguments they can to prevent it. One of the arguments they came up with in, in the case that the Supreme Court decided was, well, if you're doing a psychological exam, no one could be in the room because that will affect the person somehow. So, you know, I think, I think that even in cases where there's like emotional injuries or psychological injuries, they still, you'll still be able to have a third party observer there, you know? Mark, any thoughts? Yeah, I do. It, it's funny you say that. I think one of the we had an expert one time in one of these cases where we wanted to send a third party observer. This was before DeFiori came out and it was actually a neuropsychologist and the law firm objected. They said, no, you know, there shouldn't be a third party. It'll interfere with the psychological examination and all that. And I forget how or what means we found it, but we actually found a certification from that neuropsychologist that said the presence of a third party observer would not interfere in any way with the psychological examination. And it, that we filed, we submitted that with our opposition to the defendant's motion to bar our third party, and they just withdrew their motion. <laughs> so we sent the letter saying it was a psychological exam, and we sent a letter, I think it was Dr. B, if I remember. And they wrote back saying, we object, we're not going to do that. And then they filed a motion to bar us bringing the doctor in. And then on the motion, they said this would interfere with the doc doctor's exam. But that doctor happened to be the same doctor in the DeFiori, the Supreme Court case we've been talking about. And in that case, he certified that it wouldn't interfere with the exam, right? The exact opposite of what the lawyers were saying to try to prevent it there, to prevent it. Correct. I'm trying to pull it up. It, exactly. It was a certification that said the presence of a third party observer would not interfere with the taking of the, you know, neuropsychological exam. And it was just the funniest thing because a lot of times, and that comes up in DeFiori as well, where they say the doctor is not the one that's objecting to having a third party there. It's oftentimes the defense law firms or, you know, the defense insurance companies. And yeah, we had that with this case where it was a neuropsychologist and they're sensitive about the battery of tests that they give. You know, I think there's there's copyright stuff. They don't want the test that they give to get, you know, I guess, utilized by someone else in some other way. But there's other ways around that. You can do protective orders if you need to. And here's so the defense was like, oh, you can't have a third party. We found the certification and it just killed their whole argument that they didn't even have the court decide it. They just were like, yep, we pulled that back. So to give people kind of a, a real world things. So, so the, w the way this works in cases is a lot of times, so like if we do a trial, we'll, we'll do a, we do like closing argument. And so this is, this is like some, some slides from a trial that we recent, we recently did. And we kind of go through it all and kind of lay it out, everything, everything for the jury to kind of summarize. 
And when we do these closings, you don't want to rehash the int- the entire case just because the jury's been sitting there the whole time. So you want to just do the highlights. So in, in this particular case, the testimony from the defense and the defense position was basically that our client was fabricating her injuries, that she was fabricating the case. And I don't remember if they explicitly said fabricating or suggested it. Normally, they'll suggest it. Sometimes some defense lawyers will get really aggressive and actually call them a liar. I've, I've actually experienced that. Or they'll actually say they're fabricating, which is a little edgy because it can backfire. So, so we asked our doctor. This is Dr. Landa. He's an awesome spine surgeon in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And, and here, I'll just play a little clip about I asked him, is it true, like the defense is saying, that Linda was fabricating her injuries? So here, I'll play this. Hopefully, you can hear it. In fact, it would be almost impossible for me to believe that, that she's fabricating her pain. I mean, for many reasons, including her objective findings, she underwent a massive operation. And it's not like she didn't know what it was. I mean, she had two massive operations in the past. So she knew, broadly speaking, presumably knew what she was getting into there. So this, it's just completely unreasonable to, to say that she's like somehow fabricating. I mean, that just seems preposterous to me. So we replayed that clip in closing just to remind the jury as we go through all the all the issues and stuff in the case, you know, because we'll have them testify in video a lot of times. <clears throat> and then it, it, the, this is an actual slide that was played. It's part of the public record in this case, which was in Bergen County. The jury saw it. It's all part of the public record in the case. And then it's also fair game to appraise the jury that if the defense doctor is getting paid and how much they're getting paid and how much they make doing this stuff. So for this particular defense expert in this trial, his testimony indicated that he takes in about $200,000 a year in extra income testifying uh, largely or almost exclusively for the defense. So we actually explicitly asked him, asked him this question, hopefully. Were you able to hear the prior one? All right, cool. So here, we'll play this one. And you got into this type of work. You're doing this work for the money, basically, right? <laughs> You know, we all work for compensation and for our expertise. So, yes, this this helps me earn extra income. Yes. And and this is doing defense medical exams for the insurance company, examining the patients, writing reports and testifying at trial about what they think the injury is, which is all why it's so critical. Like having a client in a lot of cases, having them go into a defense medical exam alone, it's like sending the a chicken into the wolf's den, you know, like alone with no yeah, protection. Like a kid in the lion's den, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about how did the court decide to not place the burden on the plaintiff to show special reasons why third party observation or recording should be permitted in each case? Well, they did it. They did it based upon the reality of the situation, what we've already been talking about, that it's just fairness. I mean, there's no reason to not have the third party observer is not interfering in the exam. They're not taking part in the exam. It's not a lawyer. The Supreme Court isn't saying you now get to have your lawyer at the exam and have the lawyer object and interfere. That's not what it is. It's basically permitting a camera into the exam. So that was it. And the court talked about other jurist, other states that allow it the common sense part of it. They talked about some prior New Jersey court decisions that allowed it. And they essentially agreed with the lower court, except for the part that we've been talking about, about flipping that burden. 
which again is in the article that I wrote before the opinion came out, is really the only issue we had with the lower court opinion as well. So I think that's mostly what it was based on. Yeah, that and the fact that if there's, I don't want to say a neutral third party, but a third party observer just sitting there quietly taking notes, how is that going to interfere with the exam? The same way if you just hit record on a cell phone or whatever, how is that going to interfere either? And again, as we're talking about this in the kind of real world realities of things, the the court essentially memorialized all this in a formal (laughs) holding. That's now the law of the land in New Jersey, which is great. Like they, and they say it like, you know, the the degree of possible negative impact on an examination must also be assessed. It is difficult to imagine, for example, how a third party who silently observes a dental examination could negatively impact the exam. But nonetheless, lo and behold, I've had dental examinations where they've said, absolutely not. No third party sitting in the corner taking notes. <laughs> this will affect the examination nonstop. And we've gotten orders saying, yeah, it's just it's not. So it's great to have this settled. And same thing. They say, like, you know, how an unobtrusive recording device would call the validity of an examination into question in a way that an interpreter would not. Like, it's just it's a common sense opinion that I think really reflects the realities of how these personal injury lawsuits go. It's a lamb to slaughter. It's a chicken to the wolves, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's not a fair power balance. Just having our client go to a sophisticated defense medical exam unaccompanied. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And, you know, what do you think the consequences that this decision could have for the future of personal injury cases? Hopefully more prevalence of, of firms doing what we do and hopefully more just fair verdicts for people who get injured because what's really happening at these defense medical examinations the the wool's kind of getting pulled back over jurors eyes because that's what it is it's a presentation when the defense doctor comes in and testifies and it oftentimes it's a presentation when any expert comes in and testifies uh we try and we've talked about the guy who pounds the table and says you know osha's written in the blood of injured workers like, you know, if the expert really believes what they're testifying to, it's I think they do real well. But here, unfortunately, I think some of these defense guys might have convinced themselves that they believe what they're what they're saying, because like Jerry read, you know, two opinions that go contrary to what the insurance company wants you to say. And, you know, they might not give you any more business. And we're talking to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more for these guys. So we've found that sometimes sending a third party observer, we get a little less, I guess, strong of a report sometimes against us. It might be a little bit more accurate because if they do, you know, 20 examinations a day, 19 of which there's no nurse in there. And then for the 20th hours has a nurse, he's just like, eh, you know what? Shoulder only got this high. That's what I'll put in the report. Whereas with the others, it gets there. He says, oh, no issues because there's no one there to check it. So hopefully there's more kind of checks on the system. Hopefully it's, you know, a mechanism for plaintiff's attorneys to more accurately show to jurors, the courts, what happened at this. And hopefully it results in people being able to get fair compensation for their injuries without defense doctors being able to kind of keep in the dark what what really happens at these exams. Yeah, thank you so much. And I mean, any of you guys can answer this one, but do you guys think that this decision is going to ripple down into other areas of law? Or do you think it's going to be mostly contained into cases involving DMEs? I think it's pretty clear it's limited to defense medical exams and and personal injury litigation, but it's not so much like it rippling down. It's just really consistent with the way the world's going. I mean, there's cameras everywhere now. Why shouldn't they also be in the defense medical exam room when the plaintiff wants it? Yeah, I think they should have the right to do that. Yeah. 
happens. Like, yeah, can you, can you imagine if there's a car crash and one person says, this is what happened at the crash, and the other says, no, this is what happened at the crash? You have the option of playing a video of what happened at the crash. What as a jury, what as, you know, system that's supposed to be based on what's the truth, like what really happened? Why would you not want that recording? Why would you not want that independent witness standing on the corner that says, no, I saw the car crash. You know, this guy would do, was doing that. That guy was doing that. That's just, it's just fair. I just have one last question, which is, you know, when the ruling refers to a neutral third party observer, can you clarify what's meant by neutral in this context? As best I can read the opinion, I think it means not having the attorney there. I, I agree. It, they don't want to turn it into, I guess, any more of an adversarial proceeding than it is. It's not someone that's supposed to be in there, be an advocate, arguing for you, fighting with the doctor. You know, I think it's, it's exactly what it sounds like, just a neutral third party sitting there recording what happens. Yeah, I think the neutrality is not that they're not for one side or the other, but they're not doing anything other than observing, taking notes and recording. I think that's where the neutral comes in. Agreed. I think the court touches on that, too, where they say, like, hey, we're making clear. We're not sending saying the attorney can go in there. We're saying it's a neutral, I think, like unobtrusive third party. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I want to actually remind our listeners that they can send in their questions to questions at jerseyjusticepodcast.com because your question may be featured on a future episode where we will answer it live. So please feel free to reach out to us. It's going to be also in the show notes for you. And make sure that you share this out with all your friends in your community because we want to make sure that they're also in the know when it comes to what's going on in New Jersey and what happens behind the scenes in lawyer life. All right. We'll see you guys next time. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light or just a phone call away, call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.